Hi, I'm Hannah. And I'm Monica. And you're listening to Cage Nation. Welcome back, everybody. Hello from Cage Nation. And actually, hello from our homes. Yeah, we are at home. We've been spending a lot of time at home, as most of you know, because you're all in it with us. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm in my closet right now. And I'm snuggled up beside my couch. <laughs> We're in some awkward positions right now, but this is how dedicated we are to you all. So... April is National Reentry Month. Lots of people call National Reentry Month Second Chance Month as well. Um, and so we had planned for about a year now um, to do two episodes this month to celebrate Second Chance Month. And we have had to change course around what we were wanted to do. Yeah, so a lot of things are changing right now in the community due to COVID, which is why um, we wanted to do a special release talking about those concerns. COVID certainly impacts people who are incarcerated and people who are reentering differently than it does um, all of us who are in the community. Monica, I'm going to ask you our standard question, and I wonder if it changes, if our current environment changes your answer or what your thoughts are around when does a person's sentence end? This is a great question. I mean, it's one that we made up. So of course, I think it's great. But it's a great question because I think it challenges us to consider a lot of things. Right now, where we are as a community in a lot of systems, but talking about criminal justice system, I think someone's sentence ends on paper the day that they're released from a facility. Conceptually, I think that their sentence ends when they find freedom. And I think that can mean a lot of different things. For some people, it's the minute they walk out of the gate, that's their freedom. They feel like they have it back and their sentence is done. For other people, it can take quite some time whether that be connection with the community, which is especially hard right now, whether that be seeing a family member again or uh, finding a new part of who they are. Um, I think freedom is what I think most about with this question. Do you think people can be free when they're incarcerated? I can based on my experience of working with people who are on the inside. I believe that because I've heard a lot of people say, I, I've i never felt as free as I did when I came to prison, which feels and sounds really ironic. Like, how could I, what do you mean that you'd feel more free being locked up? But I have heard people say that. And I think it's, um, I think it can be a lot of different reasons, whether it be um, safety, um, something that stopped their life and it wasn't going well before they got there or um, maybe finding some newfound connection. They found a friend. Um, They're able to talk to their family in a different way for the first time. They have a job skill. They completed treatment. They got an education. All of those things for some people, for most people on the inside, it's the first time they've ever experienced some of those things. And I think it is kind of like a newfound freedom for them. 
Yeah, I think, you know, when I've been thinking about the question that we ask, when does a person's sentence end, particularly in, in the current climate we're in with, with COVID-19, it's really been, for me, thinking about the, the defining parts of what incarceration in general does to people. And, you know, I think it's so challenging to, for people often to get out from under the, the defining parts of what they have done. And we've had guests on the show, uh, multiple guests on the show talk about, you know, you're better than the worst thing you've ever done. And, and I think we often see people be sentenced so harshly for things that, um, that, that it can be really hard to get out from under that. And, you know, I like, I like what you said about freedom because we've, we've met so many people who are still impacted today from their experience of being incarcerated or um, navigating what their recovery looks like. And in many ways they are free and in many ways they still aren't because they have to carry um, and live through what that experience was. And, and I think the, the climate we're in right now adds a lot of additional fear to where people are at and um, rightfully so, you know, um, prisons and jails are, are not a place that you don't want to be well at. Yeah. I think it's really scary, of course, for people who are on the inside, um, how information travels and who controls information on the inside is a very particular system. Um, I think yeah. that's probably one of the hardest things about being incarcerated is that you don't know things in quite the same way as the free world does. And um, and not that you can't watch the news or have phone calls or, you know, know those things, but the immediacy of things is changed quite a bit. And so you might not find out that something major has happened in your community or a law being passed or whatever for quite a long time. Or it just may be kind of like out of sight, out of mind, and I'm not really thinking about it. But something like COVID, which I think has really changed pretty much every system you can think about, whether it be the school system or employment or housing or healthcare, like it has flipped everything upside down in our community. And we're and all so rapidly. Yeah, so quick. I mean, I, I was just talking about this with someone that I work in healthcare and it was really like 48 hours uh, everything was changed. Like on Tuesday, we were concerned and we knew we knew about COVID. We knew what the concerns are. We knew what was coming. Um, and then like two days later, it was like everything. The way we were delivering care, um, how we were thinking about things, pol like policies literally had to be written by our organization for some things because we just hadn't really been in this territory before. And I think so many systems were experiencing the same thing. It was mm -hmm. like, one day we're operating in this fashion and the next we can't. So I don't think the criminal justice system is exempt from that. I think they're right in the same same boat as everybody trying to find solutions for like a really huge and sometimes impossible problem. I think right now we're in an interesting place, particularly with incarceration, because systemically we know that people of color and people who are low income are disproportionately incarcerated. And then you think about people who 
typically are frontline workers or are essential workers working in working class jobs who often can't take time off, don't have paid time off, some don't have health care, um, lots don't have health care. And then you think about the incarcerated population where you have densely packed areas where people cannot leave, they can't get care when they need it or when they would want it, they can't clean themselves when they would want to or need to. And a lot of those people come from really low income communities and communities of color. And, you know, really we're talking about systems upon systems upon systems putting communities at risk um, and essentially making sure that people continue not to have access to rights that we, um, a lot of us take for granted just in everyday life. Yeah, and if we think about um, healthcare and someone taking care of medical concerns, most often by the time someone ends up in jail and prison or prison, they have um, not addressed or neglected or avoided healthcare for many times or most times. I think I'm safe in saying most times. Um, they've neglected their own health for a lot of years. And so not only are they not um, addressing things like preventative health care, like routine screenings, or just even having a doctor, um, knowing do they have insurance? How do they navigate their insurance? Like most folks aren't going to know that. So if you complicate things like I already have existing health conditions, let's say I'm newly incarcerated, I'm kind of catching up on things that I should have been addressing for a lot of years, and you add something like COVID, um, that's really scary, especially for people who have um, immune deficiency or vulnerability, um, the aging population. Um, I mean, there's lots of things that can impact our ability to fight off something. And so, I mean, really, everyone, I think, who is incarcerated is at risk and vulnerable in some way. And the, the concept of social distancing, and we've put this out on our social media, is just it's not possible in prisons and jails. And, you know, and so we think about not only do we have facilities where people are already overcrowded and close together and then we put even more people in dorms and in cells and in bunks and all these things you know we're really creating um, spaces where people are incredibly at risk and again we know those people are, are most likely low-income and people of color mm -hmm. um, Hannah I have a question for you yeah something that we heard recently and um and I think it's an interesting topic, something that's definitely worth discussion is the idea of basically like mass release. And so there are many organizations and many people invested in the idea of releasing pretty much everyone who is incarcerated right now or the majority of people who are incarcerated. And what do you think about that? First of all, thank you for supporting my um, later night text rants about this. <laughs> um, you know, I think you and I deeply believe in mass decarceration. We, we fundamentally believe that people should not be held in, in spaces where they don't have access to resources and care and family and community. Um, and so in, in some ways, I, I deeply understand 
people's push for this. And I think right now is a great time to, to really start examining what this looks like um, at, a, at a larger scale level. And, you know, oftentimes I think the conversations that we're having, particularly right now with COVID-19 for this big push to release people, um, is not a complete conversation because there are a lot of people who release from prison. You and I have worked with hundreds of people who really need a lot of support in that release and oftentimes don't have a lot of support when they when they release they don't have family they don't have family who might be safe for them um and so when we're talking about a mass kind of exodus of people who are incarcerated right now there's not a ton of providers who can provide them the support that the community is set up to provide Mm -hmm. um and to be really frank the community in general is already a for the most part, at capacity in the services that they can provide um, when we're not on lockdown. And so, you know, I think I think it can be really risky to release a lot of people with services being as limited as they are. And um, when people don't have support when they release, um, I have seen a lot of people in my career die shortly after release because they returned to substance use at the same level that they were using prior to um, being incarcerated and they overdose and die. And and when we think about people just not having access to support, I think it becomes really risky. And so, of course, I don't think we should continue to have low-level drug offenses and and nonviolent, you know, individuals incarcerated. And I think we need to be really thoughtful about how we do that. Yeah, it seems like um, an idea, a concept um, that requires a lot more analysis than I think we have capacity to do right now. And that doesn't mean, I mean, it's, I feel kind of almost hypocritical saying it because it, it almost sounds like I'm advocating for people to be incarcerated or to be incarcerated for longer. I just think the way that our system is built right now and designed, um, people need support. If we look at who is on the inside, those folks need support on the outside. And um, I've had people say, um, you know, sometimes it gets down to the wire with people's release dates and things aren't coming together, their housing plans or whatever. And I have had people say, I would rather stay here than you put me on the streets. Like I cannot survive on the streets again, or I can't go back to this certain community without these things in place. And, um, and so I think about that. I think about those people's stories and those lives that that says a lot. That says a lot to say, I would rather stay incarcerated than you give me back my quote unquote freedom without the right things in place. I don't want it if that's the case. I think we need spaces where we're talking about prison abolition. We're talking about um, rethinking the system as a whole. Right. Like and I, reform. Totally. And I don't think we can do that without thinking about the other systems that impact our current prison system. We know from, from a community health perspective, that is, that's going to involve schools. It's going to involve, involve higher education. We're talking about just the amount of jobs that we have versus the amount of housing that we can provide. And there are so many different systems that impact where we're at. 
Portland already has a huge housing crisis. And so imagine you are coming out of prison and you have absolutely nothing. Some people come out of prison and they have a great house to go home to and they have a family who's really supportive. And that's amazing. I think those people um, are so, so fortunate. And there are so many people who don't have that, who if we were to do a huge mass release would have a really, really hard time. And I don't know that that's the most responsible thing. Um, again, I totally agree with you. It's, it's weird to be in a space where you and I have um, talked for so long and so many years about really rethinking the system and reforming this, you know, really horrible and, and, and archaic system. And then thinking of the context we're in now where um, we were asking for additional thought around that. Yeah, and I think a lot of, I thought this often in the past few weeks that a lot of the problems and barriers and challenges that we're up against right now as a community are existing problems. And I want to remind people of that, that the idea of housing, employment, support, um, prison reentry in general, these are continuing issues. I think COVID brings um, sort of this intensified view of things and it makes already existing problems very obvious and um, has us, you know, maybe be in this place of reflecting on what we could do better. But I think it's really interesting because I have thought often over the past few weeks, these are already problems. Like this isn't just because COVID is here and all of a sudden, you know, now it's like our finances or housing market or how we feed people. Like these are existing problems. I think now, which is more a part of just classism, now middle class, upper class is being impacted in a different way. So now we get to define the problem when we get to say, well, wait, hang on, everybody. This is an issue. Um, but I think it's because of who's being impacted right now. Yeah, you're right. I think you're, you're bringing up um, a very a white, white supremacist dominant culture space where, where white people get to define what the crisis is. And, and you're right, communities of color and, and you know, people who are, are low income have been talking about these issues for generations. Um, but not being able to pay your mortgage or your rent as a middle class white person becomes an emergency for you. But when it's somebody else who looks different from you or comes from a different community, it is their problem. And now we're talking about a community level problem that impacts so many different people. Right. There's one other issue I wanted to bring up. Um, it's something that we haven't talked about yet, but it's related to COVID. I've seen several posts on social media because how do you spend all the hours of the day being inside? Well, social media is one of those. Mm -hmm. So I've seen a lot of posts on social media and some criticism and pushback, which I appreciate around people being saying like, this is like I'm in solitary or being locked up in my house is like, um, you know, being in SAG or something like that. And it's like, that's not at all. Um, us being in our house and um, ability to like cook for ourselves, if this is the case, cook for ourselves, um, go outside for a walk, get on our computer, watch a movie, eat a snack, take a nap. Like that's not at all what it's like being in solitary confinement or being on quote unquote, lockdown in a prison. And so I just want people to be really mindful of that language. I think people say it half-heartedly or kind of jokingly, because it does definitely feel like, wow, I'm kind of under this pressure or control right now. But that's not at all what it's like for someone um, on the inside who is living in solitary confinement. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you um, you say that. I work. Most of my colleagues are people who have um, reentered and, and done amazing, amazing, awesome work for our community and are you know really inspiring and creative leaders and. And it, through the last couple of weeks, I've um, checked in with them and I'm like, are you doing okay? What's going on? And they're like, yeah, I'm totally fine. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because it, because you're right. It is, it is so different. And it's, um, you know, even if you think for a second, this is what it's like to go to prison or jail or, you know, be in some type of, like you said, control, imagine for another second the actual reality of what that could look like for you and what it would mean for you to be completely stripped of your humanity and your rights and be in a space where you have absolutely no control um and so i really you know i really appreciate you saying that and i think it also speaks to an, a space of like the amazing resilience of um people who are currently incarcerated and have re-entered that they have experienced something so horrific and can continue to kind of hold us in the space of, of grace and maybe latitude as, as the community navigates this. Yeah. I have known people who have done um, a good majority of their time in solitary or segregation or alone, whatever that happens to look like. Um, and they are most often people who are so grateful and so humble with the yeah. world. Um, when I, I don't really think we deserve that as a community when you see what these people have put up with. Um, so I just, I think it's just important for us to like put this into perspective. Um, and, and if you're interested in that, you know, maybe you are thinking about that because you're at home and you're thinking about confinement or control, then getting some education about like, you know, wh where are people doing the most time? Where, what are states that still, um, you know, support people who are mentally ill being in solitary confinement? What are the laws around that? I mean, now would be a really good time to research what are some of those issues? Uh, clearly, I think we could do a whole episode on solitary confinement. We haven't talked about immigration and what that means for folks um, who are in ICE detention centers. And, you know, I think that really relates to the space of being incarcerated and being, it relates, but it's, it's very different. I mean, one thing that I have thought about is if you are from this country, if you were born here um, and speak the language and know the culture, it is terrifying to be incarcerated. And if you can imagine not being from this country, maybe you don't speak the language, you're probably for sure not familiar with systems or processes or laws or how things happen or who gets the say. That terrifying feeling or fear or confusion, um, I mean, triples, quadruples. And so thinking about folks who are in our detention facilities, which are jails and prisons. Mm -hmm. um, there's even some like coded language there, like detention facility. Um, 
what a horribly scary time and and to already not know like where am i going to be when am i going to be transferred when is court going to happen is my attorney going to communicate with me like all of that stuff for the most part is on hold right now so what an awful awful situation to be put in um, to probably have pretty minimal contact with the community and then not know am I going to be in this country? Not just like, am I going to be in this jail or not? But like, am I going to be in this in this country or not next week or next month? Or how long is this going to last? Or am I going to get sick? Yeah. And then to add to that, that you, you know, are often and most likely separated from everyone you know, um, including your children. And the only thing that that you have done is come to a space oftentimes seeking asylum where you're trying to get help. And so, you know, I really, I really want to support organizations and and efforts to rapidly um, release people who are in, in detention. And like you said, very, very coded spaces where we're talking about completely privatized jails and prisons for um, that are designed for specific communities. Yeah. And, and it's something that we should certainly talk more about. Um, and right now, like you, you were saying earlier, COVID-19 puts this additional urgency on, on these issues. And of course, immigration and ICE is an absolutely urgent issue and was before COVID-19. For sure. How do you think as we, you know, think about this going forward and it's likely going to continue to be impacting people for months and months and and of course years for people who have um, lost loved ones. How do you think we can kind of come together as a community right now and support each other in the community and support our community members who are incarcerated? I think as a community, the more that we can support people who are the most vulnerable, whether that mean medically or people who are houseless or the aging population, um, immigrants, refugees, um, lots of other communities are vulnerable. But I think the more that um, we um, collectively can support vulnerable people, I think it'll benefit everyone, um, including ourselves. And I think this is a good time for people to really analyze what that means for them. Um, what can they do? I think no matter where you are in life, um, including people who are incarcerated, they support one another um, and they figure out a way to survive. And I think that, you know, my ask and my call for the community is to do that for one another. Um, You know, I've been checking in with a lot of people to ask, how are you doing? Um, You know, take care of yourself. And the bigger message in that um, is take care of each other because I think that's what we need right now. And for people on the inside, it's tough to know what to do differently. I think legislation is always something to be looking at. What are our laws? What are the policies around um, release, um, a pandemic, um, a crisis? What happens if there's a big disaster for people who are incarcerated? Um, I mean, now would be a good time to know what that is. And that way you can at least be informed and hopefully make or advocate for some changes in the community. Um, And then on top of that, I mentioned this earlier, getting educated. Now is a perfect time to research some things if you have space um, and like capacity to think about anything that's hard or difficult, which is pretty tough right now. But if you do, 
now's a perfect time to start understanding like who supports people. Um, what are the agencies helping people come back um, and return to the community? Um, what are the laws? Um, what are the resources needed? What are the stories? Um, I think now is a perfect time to start looking into those things and then identifying with something that you want to do. Not everyone's interested in legislative work, but maybe you're interested in helping people who are houseless and you know people coming out of jail and prison are part of that community. I mean, I think wherever you are in life, there's something to give. And I think now is the time to call on yourself for that. Yeah, I think that's that's huge. And you know, I have I have to go back to our our question in every podcast, which is, when does a person sentence end? And I think you know that really really aligns with Second Chance Month, and we have so many people who have done amazing amazing things and amazing changes in the, and made amazing changes in their lives while they've been incarcerated. And we need to rethink who is at risk. We just have to. Right now, so many prisoners are at risk and so many people who are incarcerated are at risk um, who would not be a risk to the community and who can successfully come back and um, continue to be great community members. And so I think we, we need to ask ourselves in this time who, like you said, who is, who is most vulnerable, right? And I think that's going to require us to think differently and, and think critically. Um, the other thing I think people can do and and what I've done and I really you know would ask people to continue to think about doing is donating to the National Bail Fund Network where mm-hmm. people can people who do not need to be at risk who do who are are vulnerable who are waiting pre-trial um, and are often waiting there because they are poor help them to get out um, and continue to support the community and and a small donation goes so so far with the National um, Bail Fund Network and they can direct you to, to your state. And I think that's that's a really important thing people can do right now in addition to the things that you talked about. Yeah, that's, that's a big deal. I mean, that goes back to our, our original question, which could mean someone's freedom or not. Well, I hope that um, this hasn't been a total bummer for people, but I do think it is important. Um, and, you know, we really want to continue to build community and and that's going to require us like we've been saying, to, to talk and think differently and have conversations where we might not agree. Absolutely. I think now is the time for us to really assess important, important things like privilege, vulnerability, risk, community, um, justice, freedom, like all of those things. This is a perfect time to be analyzing some of those things. And so I hope with, you know, taking care of yourself and also taking care of one another um, that you make some space to think about um, those outside of you. And it's a great opportunity as everyone is is impacted so differently and, and, and sometimes in the same ways to think about the so many different systems that impact us all and how we're all so, so connected to, to all the things that are going on. We will be back on the 15th for our normal episode release, and we're excited for that. Um, And we hope you all stay well. Thank you so much for listening to Cage Nation. Bye.